Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hey Simon. Hey Simon. Today we are continuing our series of America on film by looking at Philadelphia, Vaughn's hometown. We have chosen six films to talk about and we'll also be uh, doing some honourable mentions at the end. And as she did with New York and Boston, Vaughn has kindly put together a mini history of the city too. Uh, But first I'd like to hear from you guys what the term Philadelphia on film means to you guys. What comes to mind when you hear that? Vaughn, do you want to go first on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, it's important to say go birds because this is a Philly <laughs> podcast um, podcast episode today. So we need to respect the birds. Uh, go birds, go Phils. For Philly on film, I really I'm I'm not sure what I would expect from this. I, honestly, um, I've seen many of them. I've lived there a long time, and. Uh, uh, I think I just expect Rocky at this point, but I think I'm conditioned. I've seen Rocky a million times and been to the statue. And that's just what Philadelphia on film means to me is is seeing Rocky. But kind of exploring some other films, especially for this podcast and things that I've seen before. um, I think capturing kind of the spirit of Philadelphian people is very important. There's a lot of camaraderie in the city um, a lot, a lot of pride for being Philadelphian, um, but really with that <laughs> attitude of like we're allowed to to rag on Philly, but nobody else is. Um, there's a billboard that we tweeted earlier today from 1970 that says something like Philadelphia is not as bad as Philadelphians say it is, and that to me is <laughs> the spirit of Philadelphia. So, so I think that's what I what I think of most. Probably some some like independence hall liberty bell visits like everybody does in third grade um probably some some virtuous patriotic statement at some point of this is why we're in philadelphia kind of thing um and definitely cheesesteaks that's what i expect from philadelphia on film that's what you expect okay uh toby anything to add i don't don't know i wouldn't know i think uh, i just to carry on what Vaughn has said I, I don't so much think about Philly on film as this the cinema that comes out of Philadelphia mm-hmm. I think about you know the, the the teams I think about the rapper Beanie Siegel who in many ways does a lot of sort of gritty post-industrial um, sort of rap videos about Philadelphia I think of um I think Joe Paterno, I think uh, I, I, I sort of have these different fractured views of Philadelphia that I, I know it's a, it's a city where people are very proud of Philadelphia. There's a lot of things that they're proud of. Uh, it's a big, you know, sports city. Uh, I, I think about the, the Bill Burr rant about Philadelphia <laughs> and, and, and I, do, I do think that is probably the mo- maybe even the most identitarianly east coast city 
mm-hmm. when I think about it. Like I think about them as ve- being very culturally East Coast, mm-hmm. and I like I like I kind of like that yeah. about it. But I don't so much think about the cinema of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocky obviously stands. I mean, I, I I don't really know where it stands in the corpus of Philly films. It's certainly very, very iconic for you know viewing the city. Um, but I I I I don't even really. I think I think of it as uh, Rocky as a Philadelphia icon in many ways. But I think it's a sort of it's taken out of its context for me. I I understand you know I think mm. Rocky's seen as this sporting icon even above Joe Frazier you know who's the obviously the actual real sporting icon from Philadelphia but still I I don't I don't know I can't I can't really itemize Philadelphia in my mind uh because I don't I really don't know the the context but I know I like I actually like the idea of Philadelphia a lot Mm -hmm. but I I don't know enough about it ah interesting yeah I the, the idea of Philadelphia I mean I've I've never been to America, let alone Philadelphia. So my my viewpoint on Philadelphia is very much as that as a an outsider. And in fact, why Toby and I start start this podcast all those decades ago was because we had a, an outside view of of America from from growing up. And Philadelphia maybe isn't the immediate city that kind of springs to mind when I think of American media and you know the, the way you know New York and L.A. for instance are. I I guess for myself, there's a a patchwork sense of certain things so you have the sports team you have this strong underdog working class rocky sort of city um then you just have other things that might just pop up such as will smith for instance you know probably the first time i heard about philadelphia as a kid outside of the cream cheese was probably uh was probably in uh will smith talking uh rapping along saying he was born and raised in west philadelphia and then he, he moved to la because his auntie told him to so um, I, I so probably the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is the immediate thing that kind of, uh, when I was a kid, that kind of sprung to mind. It's like, oh, that's probably the first time I heard about Philadelphia. But yeah, I, I guess for for myself, I I I think of a very working class kind of boots on the ground kind of like you know rocky type thing. And then as I've got older, I guess my my most sort of up-to-date viewpoint on Philadelphia, although maybe it's not one they'd want, is it's always sunny in Philadelphia because that's the the media I've, I've most taken in, which I, I, you know, Vaughn can tell me whether or not how representative that is of Philadelphia, but I imagine there's an element of Philadelphia which that is probably quite accurate to. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard summarizing a city, which I think it's less... I don't know if it's less stereotypical. It it there's less of an easy kind of two sentence answer the way there is with Boston, for instance, which had a mm-hmm. sort of Catholic church, Irish Catholic, um, you know, Boston Globe sort of tied up sort of certain criteria in certain events. I think with Philly, it's 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 still blue collar, but um, from what I understand, it's a it's a there's a bigger black population there. I think looking at the demographics, I think it was actually higher for uh, the black demographic than than white actually in the city, which you know is um, it, a con- contrast to Boston, for instance. So yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's quite telling for the for the 
part of the world that it's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, like it's, it's got all the stuff, like you know, ethnic European third generation whites, African American sports. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it sounds amazing. But then in with these movies that we watched or I have watched, mm-hmm. the idea of this like class dynamic is not something I, I think about at all. Like I I never thought I didn't know that Philadelphia had this this kind of thing. I didn't know that mm. the, the, the movies that were going to be produced about Philadelphia were going to be about this. I you know yeah yeah I I actually knew that there was this big African American population and sort of expected more sort of rocky. Hmm. type movies i mean, I think even like um i never saw philadelphia's story but the idea of this sort of genteel uh philadelphia upper class that's being you know broken a- apart by sort of like some some nouveau riche characters coming in it's just like i don't i don't know, i think you you have to know much more about the city to really understand things like that you know hmm. but the things that it's known for I think a very like East Coast, mm-hmm. and and I I generally think it's 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 very cool. It's 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 a place I would like to be from. I think, but again, I don't know enough about it. So, spoiler, uh, Vaughn did actually look in. Well, you actually watched Philadelphia Story, didn't you, Vaughn, as, as yeah. part of the research? But we didn't actually choose that. I I don't know if it'll come up in your history of Philly or if it'll come up at the end. But it was just a sort of spoiler to say, um, yeah, one of maybe one of the most famous films we haven't actually chosen um for that um because it didn't pass the Vaughn test so well uh. well let me say very quickly (laughs) on on what both of you have just said about it it did pass the Vaughn test I loved it I thought it was an excellent film and I enjoyed it so much um it's very indicative of a very specific type of Philadelphia that I would argue no longer exists Mm -hmm. and therefore it would have been worth talking about here but I think the other films that we did choose um, are much more kind of synthesized into what we'll be discussing with the history of Philadelphia. The Philadelphia story follows these like uber wealthy people who live on kind of like the outskirts of um, Philly or who, who would have at the time because they didn't necessarily live in kind of like center city anymore um this rich upper class group so i don't think it really encapsulates the history of philadelphia for what we're doing here but it is a good film um and it's interesting for if you do know the context of what the the kind of wealth disparity is in philadelphia but we can only do so many films so we can yes and was there any rumor to you actually saying you'd rather do Pittsburgh rather than Philadelphia on film is that you shut your mouth (laughs) how dare you Simon how dare I bring bring up that other city okay I'm I'm trying to hold back but I already want to call you a dickhead so Uh, my feeling might come out here (laughs) heaven forbid I should start taunting Vaughn right uh shall we shall we move on to the history before Vaughn can think of any more insults to throw at me. Um, Vaughn, oh, I've got them for days. Don't worry, you've got them for days. Uh, Vaughn, thank you, thank you again for putting together uh, another history on the, the city. Um, it's a great addition to be able to actually have you pull together something like this prior to us talking about the film. So I won't say any more, and I'll, I'll let you go full steam ahead. Thank you. Um, now, I will say that. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia and then I lived within Philadelphia in North Philly for um, a number of years 
in adulthood. Um, so I say I'm from Philly, but I'm only partially from Philly. And I think that might come out here. And I do not want to disrespect anyone because we are very territorial about who can say they are from Philly or not. So I'm just saying flat out, I grew up just outside of Philly and then lived within the city for, for some years before moving. Um, so that aside, let's get into it. Um, I know I usually do these brief history. Wait, 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 wait. So yeah. what are Vaughn's sports affiliations? Like, we, we got to get this out. Ooh. Do this. Ooh, I don't want to do any that. Any Boston teams that you support? Okay, hold on. Mm. So, mm, let, mm, let me say that my dad <laughs> and my dad's whole side of the family are from Massachusetts. Um so my family has had some very intense conversations about Patriots and Eagles in our home. I backed out of those. So I will support either because I'm a chicken. Yes. Simon, this isn't sounding too good. I thought we had a Philly person here. I will always say go birds. I will always say go Phils. I did go to the 2008 uh world series parade when the phillies won um i was there representing so i mm, toby you just undercut me completely <laughs> <laughs> good job toby um, I, actually, I have I, no authority I, left on this podcast i have, I have it on good authority vaughn is actually a steelers fan which would um no yeah. oh my god Simon. but vaughn is a great historian who has lived in philadelphia so that's she uh, has yes. I like how Toby's trying to add some professionalism back into the show after you just completely cut her legs from under her. Good job, Toby. Right, because it means much more to be an Eagles fan than a historian in Philly. (laughs) That is so true. I I have cheered for the Eagles many times. Okay, go birds. Mm -hmm. Go birds. Go birds. Second attempt, Toby, if you come up with anything else, you know, go ahead. Right. Okay. So um, I usually do these, these brief histories with post-war and beyond. Um, But there's, there's something that I think is very important to understanding Philly before we really get into it. Philadelphia is a city that's very close to the Mason-Dixon line, which is the line that separates um, North and South. And for me, how I interpret Philadelphia, Philadelphia's history, I think that's very important because I see the city as extremely dualistic. Um, And I think that accounts for some of the things that we had just mentioned when we were trying to say what Philadelphia on film means, because it isn't one thing. It's hard to itemize Philadelphia because it's an extremely complicated place. I think the city of Philadelphia in all caps is one thing, and then the people of Philadelphia are a totally different thing. Um... Now, the city was where the Declaration of Independence was signed, where the founders argued at Independence Hall on how to form a free and fair nation. It was one of the first stops on the Underground Railroad. But at the same time, it was also a massive um, port and had public auctions of enslaved people in the streets of Philadelphia and in the marketplaces. Um, So it's a place of ideals but it's also a place of oppression on large scales. 
And to me, it always has been. And I'm not saying this to inspire any like hate or division in how we view Philadelphia, but it is important to note that because of the positioning of Philadelphia on the mid-Atlantic Eastern seaboard, there's an extremely complicated past with political strife and dualistic identities um, that are much more visible than in other cities. So starting a bit before World War II, in the 1910s, due to the industrial ramp up necessary for World War I, um, major Northern industrial cities enticed black citizens to move out of the South in what is known as the Great Migration. Because of this, Philadelphia's black population grew by 500% in that decade. In 1919, there was something termed the Red Summer, um, during which a white supremacist, uh, the, the white supremacist terrorism and riots based on racial hatred perpetrated by white supremacists occurred in over three dozen major cities and a rural county in Elaine, Arkansas. Um, these attacks were instigated by white fears that black citizens would be inspired by the socialism and communism of the Bolshevik revolution in 1917, uh, coinciding with the first Red Scare in 1919 and 1920. And this was also around the time of social upheaval after World War I ended. So Philadelphia was one of the only northern cities apart from Chicago, I believe, um, and maybe one other, one or two other cities in the Midwest to have these massive white supremacist terrorist riots during the Red Summer. So because of the Red Summer and other upheavals such as organized crime uh, rackets and the mafia and all of these sorts of um, gang related things and there's defiance of prohibition, there was, there was little action done by the city to counteract these things. So Philadelphia gained this image of complacency um, in its disparities of health and wealth and housing, education, employment, and criminal justice. And it was also known for its political corruption in the early 1900s. So that dualism that I mentioned comes into play here. Um, at at the start of the 20th century, Philadelphia had a Republican political machine that was constantly corrupted and pitted areas of the city against one another, um, which is something that is still very, very much real today. Reformers tried every few years to combat the corruption in politics and in the police department, but were never successful for long. So through the Great Depression, when unemployment peaked, Mayor J. Hampton Moore blamed it on laziness and wastefulness. The New Deal's government-funded programs are the only thing that saved Philadelphia during the Great Depression when Moore's successor implemented them. Um, it's also crucial to note that Philadelphia became a union city under the Congress of Industrial Organizations, the CIO, um, during the, the Great Depression. The 1936 Democratic National Convention was held in Philadelphia, and the vast majority of Philadelphian citizens voted to reelect the Democratic um, FDR, despite the city still being controlled by Republicans. So looking at the war and post-war years, 
we have this background of corruption and dualism that I think is so key to understanding what happened in Philly in the, in the latter 20th century. There are so many key events on race relations, including one with Philadelphia transport company workers striking during World War, World War II because African-American workers were being promoted to positions which they were previously excluded from um, to kind of account for the decrease of workers due to the war effort. So FDR sent troops in to replace those striking until a federal agreement was reached six days after the city was nearly immobilized by the strike during World War II. After the war, there was a serious housing shortage as in most US cities. And due to the overcrowding and influx of immigrants and black citizens, wealthier white people moved out of the city into the suburbs in what's known as the white flight. So this is where a Philadelphia story would come in. Um, that very kind of specific Philadelphia white elite that left the city in the post-war period. So the population peaked at 2 million in 1950 and then it began to decline as suburban communities grew rapidly around the city. That decline continued for decades um, as industry within the city was restructured and thousands of jobs were lost. Restoration and gentrification projects sprouted up everywhere around University City in West Philly, uh, Temple University in North Philly, and the wealthier areas of Society Hill, Rittenhouse Square, Queen Village, and Fairmount. Infrastructure be uh, being the Schuylkill Expressway, I-95, residential towns formed in Northeast Philadelphia, they were all undertaken throughout the 1950s. In 1951, Mayor Joseph S. Clark was elected as the first Democratic mayor in 80 years, and he worked to weed out corruption after an investigation into Philadelphia's corruption found over $40 million in unaccounted for city funds, and numerous city council officials were imprisoned or committed suicide when brought publicly to account. That investigation reached national attention, and out of it came a new city charter, strengthening the mayor's powers and limiting the city councils. That's gonna be important in a moment. Throughout the 1960s, the city saw numerous civil rights and anti-war protests, both peaceful sit-ins and protests that were escalated into riots. In 1970, crime, drugs, and gang-related violence were deemed the most important issues in the city, leading to police commissioner Frank Rizzo being elected mayor in 1971 for his intense and controversial tactics in combating crime. Now, Mayor Frank Rizzo, I think, is the perfect example of the dualism of the city because he had a lot of local support and praise, but also a lot of passionate opponents to the point that we still argue over Frank Rizzo today. He funded the police and fire departments extremely well and defunded the free library, the Department of Welfare and Recreation, the city planning commission and the streets department. The MOVE organization founded in 1972 to live an alternative lifestyle and Frank Rizzo repeatedly violently clashed with them, ultimately escalating to the 1985 bombing of the MOVE organization under Mayor Good, which we'll talk more about later. Um, mayor Wilson Good was the first black mayor of Philadelphia elected in 1984. 
So the crime rate persisted throughout the 1980s as mafia and gang-related violence continued and the city did little by way of helping citizens, instead falling deeper into debt because of city employee contracts Rizzo signed that brought the city near bankruptcy by the end of the 1980s. Despite this, infrastructure continued to be built, including restoration of Old City, which is the historic district where uh, Independence Hall is, and South Street was also built up um, in the 80s. And there were skyscrapers, these vast skyscrapers designed and built by nationally recognized architects in Center City. So that's even more of that kind of dualism of um, the city is one thing and the people are entirely another. Mayor Ed Rendell was elected in 1992. Rendell was successful at attracting investment into the city and stabilizing the severe deficits of it. Um, throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s, the city underwent massive restoration and revitalization efforts, gaining national attention as, quote, the next great city in 2005. In the 2000s, the population decline of the last 40 years had finally slowed, and one of the biggest industries became tourism. The revitalization of underserved communities has been successful for some, but the gentrification of the city has been a detriment for many others. Um, the corruption within the police force is still a massive issue Philadelphians are plagued with, and corruption in the city council has been an issue in most mayoral administrations of the city throughout the 20th and 21st centuries. Um, now, I do want to say that despite all of that corruption among politicians and police, Philadelphia is filled with some of the most passionate people I've ever met. Um, it's, it's coined the city of brotherly love. And it has some of the just kindest and friendliest people in the world, but they will put you in your place. Um, and that, that complacency of the early 20th century does not match the spirit of Philadelphians whom I have the honor of knowing personally. Uh, so keeping this dualism in mind and remembering that the spirit of Philadelphians is one of just like aggressive, assertive compassion. Um, I think, I think that's important before we turn to these films. Yeah, that was, that was good. That was really good. Thank you. Vaughn, you should definitely consider a career in, um, history. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I really, really yeah. do thank you for you've got that. It, it's funny. I got this this lady, this American lady, off the street, and I didn't really know <laughs> if she could do this. But I, you know, I just I took a chance, and I think it turned out well, Simon. So I think what we're saying here is that Vaughn's, uh, or the introduction that we just heard, really, we should be thanking Toby for that. I think that's everything what... that she does. You should thank me for. I don't, I'm not sure if you want to take credit for all of Vaughn's actions. That, that could lead to some difficulties for you, Toby. No, but... he already said it. He already said uh, it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but, no, but yeah, I think, but I think more than with other histories that you've done, this one is sort of, it's quite personal. Mm. And, you, you know, you could, you get the yeah. sense that, you know, you've, you've experienced this, not just in the detail, but, you know, you've, you've experienced the people and they, you know, they, you know, they, they sound really genuine and, you know, yeah, absolutely. I thought Thank that you. was excellent, Vaughn. So good I, job. I do. I have so much love for Philadelphia uh, and the people of Philadelphia. They're just really incredible 
hardworking, passionate people and absolutely the friendliest. If you are in need and you're, you're in Philadelphia and like you visibly need help, people will stop and help you, but they'll also not be afraid to tell you when to like go fuck yourself. So, you know, is that why, I mean, I don't know anything about this, the city of brotherly love. Is it because the people are, are willing to kind of go the extra mile and be friendly to strangers or is there a, outside history of that what, what do you know anything about that term i i do um philadelphia is a greek word that means city of brotherly love oh okay oh well, well oh. it means brotherly love it, it means, means brother. so you don't know if there's any brotherly love there they just they just give themselves that title yeah, yeah that, that sounds about right yeah well that that does undercut what you said again <laughs> <laughs> i like this idea of vaughn trying to be earnest and toby just shitting on her I think that's uh, I think that's quite a good strategy for the rest of. The- we'll see how how long this can continue before Vaughn takes some of the insults she had uh, penciled down for me and hurls hurls them at Toby instead. No, nothing from nothing from I'm, Vaughn there. I'm just well, I'm just checking something real quick, um, before I lay into both of you. <laughs> no, uh. Okay, so uh, we will just vamp here until Vaughn does her um, Googling or whatever that might be. Um, Toby, um, so, so you're a fan of the idea of Philadelphia. Is, is yeah. that something you'd like to expand upon more? Is, 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 what idea is that? Is it that, that the very East Coast-ness of, of Philadelphia? It, 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 to be honest, like, you know, I, I try to make it seem like it's more than it is. It's a genre. <laughs> it's a genre. Like Philadelphia, in my mind, is a genre. You know, it's not it's not built up. There isn't a history to it that I can identify with or know. But it's a genre of a kind of person and and, and group and, and that that I I quite like. I think. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. It's a it's a genre. I don't think it's, it's necessarily a genre that comes through in the films that we're. Mm-hmm. watched but it but it but it's it's it is in the filmic universe of of how people who aren't in philadelphia americans who aren't in philadelphia and people all over the world see philadelphia i think hmm. okay vaughn are you still needing more time because um toby and i can start singing if, if that's what no like. no i i wanted to make sure that i had the greek correct okay. yes Philos is it means beloved or dear and adelphos is brother or brotherly and it comes from um william penn when he where penn's landing is is a major area in philadelphia Mm -hmm. his city um he is a quaker and he set up the city of philadelphia to be a place of practicing any way of life freely which is why Mm. i think there is such a dualism in the city because that spirit is definitely there and definitely real that you can live however you want in Philadelphia, but not when it comes to the establishment or the system or the government in place. And it just, it's bizarre to think that Philadelphia is the place where the declaration of independence was signed. And then it became one of just complacency, but the people still have the spirit Mm. of brotherly love of, I love you because you're a human and you're allowed to exist because you're a human, but the government within Philadelphia does not feel that way. Yes. 
So that's what that's what Philadelphia means. That's where the the name comes from, and that's where City of Brotherly Love comes from. It's the the Quaker ideal ideal of peace and just love for fellow humans. Well, there you go. Another thing I've learned from Vaughn, she truly is a fountain of knowledge. Thank you, Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving from um, <laughs> the founding fathers to, well, I suppose one of the founding fathers of of, <laughs> of 20th century America, and that would be Sylvester Stallone. Um, the first film we're going to look at is Rocky, which came out in 1976 and was written by and starring Sylvester Stallone as a down-on-his-luck working-class Italian-American local boxer who works as a debt collector for a loan shark in the slums of Philadelphia and gets a, a shot at the, the World Heavyweight Championship uh, against reigning champion Apollo Creed. Um, it won Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Director, and uh, Best Film Editing and spawned about a million sequels. Um, it's kind of the default representation of Philly on film. It's the one we all, we all immediately mentioned as, as soon as you talk about Philadelphia on film. It's, I guess, the ultimate underdog story, the story of a man not only fighting for his own future, but I guess in some ways kind of fighting through that, that difficult 70s period for the whole city, which Vaughn um, already mentioned. Um, who, who wants to go first on, on Rocky and uh, what, what, it, what it means? I think I'll go first. I think, uh, like I talked about in our New York episode, this movie came out, in 1976 and um you know 76 again you know seen as the nadir of the whole american experience and what rocky sort of did is it took you know you know working class people um ethnic people people who felt that the government was no longer providing for them felt that their you know their hard-earned money wasn't being reflected in the amount of uh, money they took home because of inflation and just just it just brought a, a sense that you know despite everything that was going wrong despite all these dark movies that Hollywood was putting out about basically losers and defeat and you know how dismal things were from deer hunter to you know taxi driver rocky sort of shone through as this guy who's you know, like you say he's a working class guy is down on his luck and he isn't um marlon brando's character and all the on the waterfront uh that movie by Ilya kazan who's a guy who could have been a talented boxer but you know felt that his brother never gave him the opportunity to do so and um but for rocky he does have that um same thing with his trainer uh, it's this this difficult relationship, but actually, when Rocky meets his trainer, his trainer actually resents him because his trainer believed that Rocky had this kind of talent, but Rocky never showed. Uh, it, he never put in the work. He never put in the time, and his trainer grew deeply resentful of him because of that. And and another thing is, it's super interesting about this movie. I mean, the movie moves through him, you know, being a working class uh, boxer out, out of down on his luck, um, winning some fights at the beginning with other sort of bums, basically, uh, to him getting this opportunity to fight the great world heavyweight champion, Apollo Creed. And he was pick, picked out of the book by Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed was... He, he didn't know if he could find a boxer to fight him at the time. All the other 
top boxers didn't want to fight him at that particular moment in time. He picked the Italian stallion out of a book and said, you know, this is this is America, you know, the land of hope and opportunity. And once they pick Rocky, um, they off Rocky actually says that he doesn't want to do it because he's, you know, he's the that guy's the champion. I don't want to do it. And then they offer him one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to fight in this match. And, and I don't know, like this is the first time I've kind of noticed this. But if if I was Rocky, the movie would have ended there because I would have taken the hundred fifty thousand dollars and like got knocked out in the first round and been very happy about that. But Rocky is really determined because he feels like a guy who's not ever actualized himself, not, not ever dug into himself and, and, you know, found whatever it is that was, was in himself. And he gets super motivated. This undercard boxer in the lower leagues, there's, there's, there's probably like three leagues between him and Apollo Creed. And he pushes through, he does the training, he gets with Mickey, he's in the ice box, he's boxing the, the meat. And he's just developing himself in a very short period of time from someone who, you know, who I guess physically can box to a heavyweight contender. And part of this is helped by the fact that Apollo Creed is deeply complacent. There's a scene where Apollo Creed's trainer or promoter is watching the Italian stallion and seeing that, you know, this guy, this guy really means business. And Apollo Creed, yeah, yeah, I, I mean business as well. And Apollo Creed, even when the fight starts, he comes in as a sort of George Washington. He's not taking any of this seriously. He's not fit. And when they fight each other, Rocky gets into it. I mean, it's clearly a fight. And it's it's one of the greatest Cinderella stories. And it doesn't end with Rocky winning. It ends with Apollo Creed winning uh, on decision. But it feels like a victory. And so, like, the the, the notes and beats of this movie are perfect. I think it's a perfect movie. And also, it's not a movie that's particularly uh, sort of saccharine or you utilizes quick cuts to, to get out of situations. There's a lot of bitter, nostalgic people in this, that the trainers like that. Adrian's um, brother is is he's a misogynist, but he's also someone who who he clearly is very unhappy with his life. Adrian is this this mousy character who just comes into her own. She's basically being abused by her brother, and there's all of these all of these deeply desperate people with hard lives, you know, trying to work out through these things. And, and I think it comes through at the end where Rocky is able to get through this difficult situation, train, become the spirit of Philadelphia, the spirit of the nation at this difficult time and actually match Apollo Creed in the ring. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, I think it's a lot better than, than the Rocky movies that, that come after after it. Um, I, I I do think there's you know, like in all these kinds of sports movies, there's a there's a lot of magical thinking in it. Mm -hmm. I think what happened in this movie is impossible, but um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a great movie, and I and I, I and I, I but I also and I, I I have said this before, I think it, and I said this at the beginning of this podcast. Actually, it takes the 1970s experience and 
finds um, that, you know, normal everyday Americans just through will can will themselves into mm -hmm. amazing achievements um just just through just through will and 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 find themselves and I, and i and i think that um although I, i always like to refer to taxi driver as the the opposite of this movie mm -hmm. Ilya kazan's on the waterfront which is you know tangentially about a boxer uh, marlon brando plays a boxer in the, in the 1950s it's a it's a much more realistic movie about you know the lost potential of a sort of working class union guy and the, and the bitterness and the, and the crime and, and the difficulty and, and without the kind of fairy tale ending that happens in this movie that is much more like life you know i mean but rocky did it a different way did it in a very american way and and and, and i you know i can't lie it's a great movie so you know Yeah, it it feels like a, a true modern fairy tale. You know, it's kind of got that mythical um, nature about it. It's on one hand kind of like the most American story possible, or is this kind of idea of American exceptionalism where you can Americans are so great you can just put one out of a factory and then you can make them the heavyweight champion of the world. That's how great they are. Um, on the other hand, it there is especially as you get older and you learn more about Philadelphia history, you know, you, you hear about, you know, Frank Rizzo talking about, you know, well, uh, the black candidates are talking about, or black people are talking about vote black. Well, what about vote white? You know, and so you've got this idea of this 1970s time where Philadelphia is kind of going through hardship and, um, you know, racial tension. And it, it's sort of this, <laughs> this white fantasy of being able to basically pull this guy off the street and beat Muhammad Ali or this Muhammad Ali figure and you know take one back for the for the, the white man as it were and it, it's 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 a it's become more complicated for me because i now know more about it than i did when i was you know 10 or 12 or whenever i first saw it but mm -hmm. i think just as like a contained you know like here's a script now go make a film it, it is kind of perfect in that sense toby i do kind of agree it, it's just like for what it is and for kind of how it's made it's a much better film than it almost had a right to be as it were oh absolutely you know th this film could have been a lot, a lot worse whether or not you like, like the film or not i think it, it's it's made well and okay it, you know we would disagree with it being a better film than taxi driver and you know all this kind of stuff but you could in a in a worse movie year you could almost talk yourself into this being a best picture um it's just so happened that there were i think better films that came out in 1976 but for what it is i think it's very well made and it's you know, truly one of the most iconic American films of all time. Um, and then Rocky Four entered the Cold War. So you can't really um, dispute the, the, the magnitude of the Rocky series. Um, Vaughn, I don't know when you first saw Rocky or your relationship to it, but I know you watched it again recently and um, your main feedback was that Rocky just had to walk lots of places. But I think there was some other feedback you had on the film as well. So do you want, do you want to uh, share that with us? Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that film is just Rocky walking places, <laughs> which I didn't realize until this rewatch. But um, yeah, I've seen Rocky so many times. Um, it's like mandated viewing when you grow up in Philly, I think. And I, I agree with both of your takes. I can absolutely see from a filmic standpoint 
why so many people think it is a perfect film. Um, I don't like Rocky, which feels like utter betrayal to my city, but um, I don't know. I just, I think probably for a lot of those reasons that you said, Simon, it's a very complicated film for me. And I just, I think it captures 70s Philadelphia very well. Um, Rocky, when you, when you first meet him, he is a, uh, a collector for a, a gangster in the city. And he, he's that, that heart of gold, doesn't want to hurt anyone, wants to give them extra time because if you break his thumbs, how is he going to work in the factory and get more money for the, the mob boss and everything? Like he's, he is that iconic Heart of gold. always plays right. like um sorry sorry Stallone always plays like towers of strength that are dumb and very simple yeah. but are good i uh, just just to carry on with what you were saying it's it it's it's the same thing yeah. in copland he just mm-hmm. he's like it's like a big oak tree with yeah yeah i, I think a- Vaughn, did you say that he invented being a himbo right Stop. Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> the personality. I'm never gonna be allowed back in Philly again. I said Rocky is the original. At least, at least those people are like confident. He just, he just. I don't know. It's. He's, he's a. But it's sl- definitely. I think it definitely has its roots in heroic stories before you know. Obviously, Stallone was was even born. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's quite. There's a there's a traditional hero about this league. He's morally pure. He's strong. He's not particularly ambitious, and and he can sort out the problems of any the community when the you know when the strain mm-hmm. comes in. You know, it really does feel like Greek, Greek mythology. I yeah, mean, it, 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 yeah, it really does yeah. feel like it's a like a true archetype of of like storytelling and of, of just like Western Western uh, living. I guess at this point. Sorry, Vaughn, you you were saying. No, I think that's that's definitely what I what I was saying is that he's a sweet big idiot and it's just he you pluck him at random from a book and he can go like round for round with an undefeated boxer. It's just this this fantasy and this modern fairy tale as both of you have said. Um and I definitely get why Philadelphians align with it because Philly is the city of underdogs and always has been. Um, So I absolutely respect the film for what it is to Philadelphia and to cinema. Um, Just personally, it's not one of my favorites and the way Rocky treats Adrian to me is not romantic at all, even though I know a lot of Philadelphians think it's the most romantic story of all time, but it's not. It's just not. So good film overall. Excellent representation of Philly. That's my take. Yeah, it, it's it. We really couldn't start with any other film apart from Rocky, to be perfectly honest. Um, no. Even if we'd done Philadelphia Story, we might have actually had to start with Rocky and then work backwards. To be honest, it's. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a city which is so aligned with a particular film. To be perfectly honest. Um, I. I told you yesterday, I was watching Creed also for mm-hmm. this context of where the Rocky yes. franchise has gone. And Creed is an excellent film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I had, I had mentioned that I, I don't like that the Rocky statue exists in the, the cinematic universe of Rocky, of the Rocky franchise. I don't like that it exists there because it exists in the real world. And like Toby said earlier, like Joe Frazier is our guy, but we have a statue of Rocky. And it's just, that's weird, right? Yeah. That's weird. But also it's not weird when you remember this dualistic nature of Philadelphia. And, you know, but yeah. you know, just on the, the the racial angle, I think this is a very, it's a very powerful point that we're getting at. You know, mm-hmm. sort of Joe Frazier's the guy, and but there's the Rocky statue, and in, in this movie, like you could see, like boxing, and it, as it had become, you know, over those thirty years, um, the the Jake Lamottas uh, uh, sort of moving out, the Rocky Marcianos are moving out. You're getting much more black mm-hmm. boxing champions. Ali Frazier, um. And the idea that this ethnic, you know, third generation uh, European Philadelphian could become world champion has become much more remote. But that's why it's a fairy tale, you know. And I and I think I, I just on racial, I think it's the same thing. I think Rocky is to Philadelphia the way Larry Bird is to Boston. Really, mm. it's, it's, he yeah. represents them. Yeah, that's a good shout. I think. I think one of my other problems, as you were just saying that, Toby, it reminded me, one of my other problems with Rocky is knowing film history and um, specifically the legislation within Hollywood, because at the turn of the century, around 1900, there was there were new codes in Hollywood um, when Hollywood was a kind of burgeoning thing, whatever, um, about miscegenation. And the, which is the portrayal of um, interracial couples on screen. Mm. There, there were rules about how you couldn't do that. You couldn't portray a black person as a romantic interest. And that comes from um, Nickelodeons around the turn of the century that would have boxing matches that featured both black and white boxers fighting and women would pay to go see them. And genuinely, this is the history. Women were aroused by seeing the boxing matches between black and white men. And the people in charge of film at the time decided that that was too dangerous and that they had to put a stop to portraying black men in positions of power that could arouse women. And for me, thinking about that with Rocky, Mm. it's just extremely problematic to me that that rocky like ultimately apollo creed wins but only by default by decision but but apollo just just to push back on that a little bit apollo creed is a very sophisticated individual in this movie yes he's like a mustache twirling villain you know in the sort of english sense you know he's 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 Thinks much more deeply than than Rocky does. He's like black yeah. Lex Luthor. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like he's a modernist mm-hmm. in in the way he's like, oh, I'm going to. This is a PR campaign. I'm gonna, the Italian Stallion, you know. I'm gonna pick him out of a book. We're gonna create this event. Like I'm I'm a, you know, a boxing promoter or this 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 sort of event planner, and and we're gonna put America on stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of like, you know, this Italian. He can't do anything to me i'm i'm you know i'm the champ um you know the, these guys they don't 
they don't win in boxing anymore. There's very like he's a very confident and calculating villain. You know, like he's a, he's a personality in this movie. Mm-hmm. Even at the end, you know, he tells him um, you didn't win. You know, and he's thinking through the. But he, but he also has to deal with it psychologically as well, and it, and he does deal with it in the second movie. So yeah, I, yeah, I would p- push back against that a little bit. Obviously, um, Apollo Creed is is seen as almost um, the villain in the American story, yeah. as a, yeah, which is which is weird, and and it is very much a black versus white movie. But it, but yeah, I don't know. He isn't. Some sort of like hulking idiot who's he has a bit more agency, I guess. Yeah, he's a lot more. He's got a lot more more agency, you know. In this, I I agree, and that's that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that like it's uncomfortable that the first major film that I can think of to portray a black man fighting a white man in a boxing ring since the miscegenation. kind of decisions after pulling Nickelodeon um, films of of that same depiction for a very racist reason. It's uncomfortably inco- uncomfortable to me that Rocky is the first vision we get of that since the 1900s, like early 1900s. Um, and that Apollo Creed is painted as a villain, whether he's calculating or whatever his character is. There's at one point the promoter says, that's very American of you. And he says, no, it's smart. And it like that just it feels like he is an anti-American character by exploiting this American element of the match. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, African-American is always going to be other in yeah. different in different yeah. ways of course yeah but yeah i don't know yeah but that, that's an interesting viewpoint is it i guess we kind of saw that later on kind of post 9 11 where it's like um it almost like where the, sort of the muslim side of that's like oh he, he's you know you, you're so good you could almost be american you know if you're sort of patronizing a muslim yeah. person you know on screen like, i am an american american muslim you know it's this idea that if you're not white if you're you know you're other as it were and this yeah. idea that American equals white rather than American can equal anything. Um, yeah, so that's a good point. It did actually remind me, although on a much lesser scale, but I remember a story, it's only tangentially related to what you're saying, Vaughn, although it does include Will Smith, so I'm going to include this. Uh, I don't know if you remember the film Hitch, which came out in like 2005 or something like that. It was the one uh, where he, Will Smith was playing like this uh, guy who was like really good at like giving dating advice or something like that and it stars Eva Mendes anyway when the studio were looking around to cast the film it was a big sort of Will Smith studio romantic comedy type thing the uh they were kind of debating who they were going to have as the lead uh, or the the love interest for him and the executives uh, the story goes that they didn't want a, a black actress opposite him because that would be like less interesting to mainstream America if you had like a black couple on screen and they couldn't pick a white actress because it would seem as unrealistic that a white actress or white character be w- with a black man. So in the end, they, they went with, with Eva Mendes because she's of uh, more Hispanic background. And so, so she was sort of seen as the compromise between uh, mm. realistic, but um, um, still sort of, um, um, you know, someone that they can um, have, have an interest in in a mainstream way. And yeah, it, it, it kind of just goes back to this idea that we're, 
although it, it changes and improves in some ways, we are continuously sort of using film is often kind of like a, a viewing platform for how, how America is kind of seen itself within race and what is acceptable to the people who are watching these films. I'm so sorry, just kind of off on a tangent there, but I, th- I thought it was really interesting what you said about this idea of not showing uh, black and white uh, boxers fighting each other, which seems so sort of arcane these days, but you only have to go back a decade or so and they're certainly having those conversations and I'm sure they're still having those conversations now in Hollywood studios. Anyway, yeah, so that was Rocky. Shall we move on to our next film? Um, which is, uh, <laughs> it's got its own problems. Um, it's Trading Places, which came out in 1983, mm-hmm. a comedy directed by John Landis, starring Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, and Jamie Lee Curtis, amongst others, uh, which tells the story of an uh, upper-class commodity brokers played by Aykroyd and a poor street hustler played by Murphy, who uh, lives across, uh, they kind of come across each other unwittingly, and they're the subject of this uh, elaborate bet to uh, test <laughs> test uh, whether or not. It's very elaborate. It's very yeah, elaborate. it's a broke bet. Like yeah, it's... So basically, these these two old white men make yeah. up. It was like a one dollar bet that basically says if you swap their lives around. <laughs> what, you know, what what would happen? You know, would would the this Dan Arker character still rise to the top? Or would, if you gave Eddie Murphy the same opportunity, would he rise to the top? And it's, you know, it's kind of classical in that sense. And it's so kind of ridiculous. And it's, it's uh, you know, a very easy setup. You know, what if you swap these these two characters' lives around? And it is actually really funny just to watch the extremes they go to as far as the Dan Atgard's character falling apart and the opportunities that the Eddie Murphy character gets. Um it's it's something of a, a classic film to be honest at this point it's one of those films that you just kind of hear about it's like oh, one of those like great 80s comedies i watched this prior to christmas so i haven't seen it since but i watched part of christmas i hadn't seen it in ages but i'd seen it a couple of times when i was younger <laughs> and i forgot just how problematic some of the stuff is especially at the end with like blackface mm. and um there's stuff to do with tying people up in gorilla suits so gorilla can have sex with them um <laughs> i don't know if you guys had seen Trading Places before researching this, or if this is one of the ones that just sort of, you know, had passed you by, or if it's just kind of in your general consciousness. Uh, but I was going to ask, Vaughn, this is a Philadelphia film. It does take place in Philadelphia, but the final act does take place in New York, from what I remember, with them going for the, the trading floors and the stock markets. Is there anything... Could, could this have been set in Chicago or any other city? Could it have been set in New York? What Was there, I guess, A, what's your impressions of Trading Places? And then B, is this a, a genuine Philadelphia film or is this just happened to take place in Philadelphia, do you think? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I can see it as a Philadelphia film and I think it works as a Philadelphia film. Um, partly because the heritage club as it's called in the film where the uh wealthy white men hang out and like make this this wager to absolutely destroy dan Aykroyd's life they that is based on a real place in philadelphia called the union league um the union league used to be called the millionaires club because it was where all of the wealthy white philadelphians hung out it was just their like 
I don't know, clubhouse or something in Center City by the Masonic Temple. And I immediately saw this film as like, yeah, that makes sense. That's very Philly. That there's this very kind of, again, dualism of Philly being the extremely wealthy kind of people who represent the city and represent like the, the economics of the city and they can do no wrong. And then there are the people being Eddie Murphy and people of um, like Jamie Lee Curtis's character in the film, she's a sex worker. And there, there's just a vast disparity between the actual people of Philadelphia and these hyper wealthy city socialites. Um, Vaughn, this I think you must have said this in you know, history. Does Philadelphia post World War One does it have like a a strong history of welfare provision for its citizens? Or um, so it did f- have some during the New Deal, mm-hmm. um, but they started to decline a lot after the New Deal and after. World War II just gradually until Frank Rizzo just pretty much completely defunded them in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, because you, you mentioned Rizzo because I think yeah. it's a little bit different from New York because mm-hmm. New York sort of develops um, sort of your basic welfare before the, the war and then it expands and then in the 50s it expands a little bit more and the 60s it expands a little bit more and then the 70s is the financial crisis and they try to maintain it and then it falls apart and then they restructure the city. But I think from what I heard in your Philly history, Philly is a more has been more unequal for, for longer without the same need to try to make it a sort of socialist city. A need that obviously in New York has failed, but a need that was tried intensely by various New York mayoral and state leaders um, in the late 20th century, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Because when I watched this movie, it actually reminded me, not of like Wall Street or anything, it reminded me of like American Psycho. You know, when um, (laughs) uh, the main character of that movie sees a a bum on the street and, uh, you know, asks him why he hasn't you know achieved hmm. uh, money by you know getting some complex occupation or something and then laughs at him and i think he kills him as well i haven't I seen that in a few years to be honest yeah i think he, he just kill he just kills a bum on the street because that, that's what patrick bateman was doing yeah right. that does ring a bell actually yeah and in the beginning of this movie the dukes get out of the car and eddie murphy's character obviously like he's clearly like doing a a bit you know like pretending to be um you know obviously limbless mm-hmm. but yeah. they just like look at him like he's just nothing oh yeah which is which i don't know i mean i, I i've never seen that before I, i've only seen an american psycho which is obviously a satire mm-hmm. well i know this movie is you know is a you know, comedy but still it's just it's ghoulish yeah. Yeah, but they almost don't recognize him as human. He's, he's mean, not human. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a very, like, speaking about the city and the extremely wealthy within, 
wealthy people within the city. I think that's a very representative viewpoint for mm. Philadelphia. Um, that there isn't, there, there hasn't been that much acknowledgement by the city that people are people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we know when this was, was made, sort of in the, the early 80s, and mm-hmm. the Dukes, they have this, um, I think, oak table or something, and you have a picture of Reagan on it. You know, it yeah. surely shows you where they stand. But what's really interesting about this movie is that they have this bet, which is like this really weird social experiment, and like a really good concept for a movie. I don't necessarily think it it all comes together but is a great concept for a movie and there's they sort of like gods almost they they sit together and and giggle about this idea that you know and one says well he's just it's just about you know experience and environment the other one's like no it's breeding um and um and and so what they do is they create this plan to bring Eddie Murphy's character and have him adopt um, Dan Aykroyd's character's life. And so he becomes a wealthy stockbroker and they wanted to see if he could be successful at it. And um, one of them doesn't think it's possible because it's all breeding. And the other's like, well, no, actually it's 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 environment, which is like the difference in their thought patterns. I mean, they're both racist because one scene in the in the bathroom um one says well we can't have a you know a nigger run this company and the others and the, even the one who was talking about environments yeah of course i mean uh, the, the, mm. how, how would you think that we would we, let this but the the difference in perspectives kind of is the it's it's weird because the the person who who said that its environment is kind of a sort of American liberal in the sort of the way American liberals think. The other person is is kind of not like the perspective that it's breeding. It's not, it's not really an American view. I mean, obviously, it's a highly racialized view, but I don't think it's it's been an American. It's, it's more of sort of a European, you know, um, the, the classes are based on individual breeding and, you know, the people have vast differences in, in levels of, of, of ability and breeding that, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, which you know, isn't true, but also is just, it's so strange. And, and, it, and it is, I think is a really fantastic concept that they did for, for this movie. And, and I, I think it really stands above the sort of freaky Friday, let's um, mm-hmm. you know, twist the, the, these two people's lives yeah. Um, concept and, and and to be honest the the liberal minded one of the dukes was yeah. kind of right because eddie murphy was able to completely take this other person's life first he he you know he goes back to the herd and he's he's rich all the all the ladies who weren't hanging around with him before they're now feeling him he brings them to the mansion um he wins the respect of these people and then then he starts to develop you know, into a posh person. He's like, why are these people even like in my house? Mm-hmm. You guys are freeloaders. Get out. He starts to resent them. Yeah. And then he starts to make good trades. Like, so he completely adopts this other person's life and, um, you know, all the things that they have. And, and, and you know, and it's 
sort of takes them in and he's quite successful and he impresses the Dukes, to be honest. While Dan Aykroyd's character, he can't, uh, you know, earn any money. He's, mm-hmm. they, they say he's, he's a drug dealer. He stole something. He's, yep. um, he, he can't go into his um, bank accounts anymore. And he's treated like the Eddie Murphy characters treated at the beginning. It's just, just nothing. It's inhuman person. And he, you know, sort of meets a, a prostitute um, character and, you know, develops a sort of a friendship and a bond w- with her. Yeah. Again, not to repeat myself, but it does almost have a sort of classic nature of all, like the storytelling of it. But again, the film is probably better than it had a right being, to be honest, because it does actually set up that conflict really well and does establish these two characters and the worlds they're living in. And I think it does a really good job of you you can kind of see how the characters are going to move through their sort of second phase of their lives, as it were, once these turnarounds happen. So once, you know, we know that Eddie, Eddie Murphy is, you know, kind of quick on his feet and his character is able to kind of quickly deal with new circumstances. And I think it does a really good job of, of portraying, you know, as, as the more liberal guy says, you know, once he's given that position, he's able to exploit it. And I think there's a funny line where they're trying to explain to Eddie Murphy's character what he does, you know, what they do and you know, how trading works. And then he goes, oh, so you guys are just bookies. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it, putting in his language, as it were. I think it's also looking at it, and just from our conversation, looking at it from this kind of social context of you have the sort of good, good, out of the two dukes you have the good the good one quote unquote and the, and the bad one and really it's almost like the sort of two sides of like republican and democrats as it were you have like the more uh outright sort of evil and then you have the other one who's sort of more palatable for the most part but actually uh, underneath their core they're not actually any different kind of thing and um yeah i think it, I, I think it, although there's some really bad stuff at the end i think the, the kind of core of the film still still holds up today but and i think it's true what you said you know like eddie murphy's character is kind of a hustler he can adapt to new situations really well mm-hmm. he'll bring his own you know colloquial you know language to it but he's 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 he processes information really quickly he's fast and but he always he, like there's a little bit of a sort of idealized poor person to him obviously he's creating all these these schemes Oh, sorry, Toby, you, you dipped out there for a second. I think oh, you uh, yeah, there's a little bit of an idealized poor person to him. Obviously, yeah. he's creating all these schemes. He's, he's, he's very hardworking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily think people need to, to have his hustle to eat or you know have shelter or anything like can that. You, can you still, sorry, can you still hear me, Vaughn? Okay. Yeah. Can yeah. you hear me? Yeah, we we've kind of lost you on two separate cases. Oh, sure. or at least I I did. Um, Vaughn, I don't know if you ha- were having trouble with that as well. I, I did not notice. Oh right, okay. Maybe it was just coming through on my end, but I was having some issues. Um, okay. So, uh, anything else we want to add on trading places? Um, both of you said most of what I was going to say, but I did want to point out that the Rocky statue is also in this, and that it's very interesting how they portray crime in this and who is a criminal mm. because the their their whole kind of bet is based on it's it's that Dan Aykroyd when he has all of his kind of perks and privileges taken away will he turn to crime or not um and also the flip side of Eddie Murphy being raised up and going away from those those kind of tactics and things um 
when the two white men are literally committing a felony and stealing um, a crop estimate so that they can have insider trading and fix the stock market. Like they're the actual criminals in this film, but there's so much emphasis on what are the poor people doing and how can we get them? And it's like, Mm -hmm. fuck those guys, you know? Like, I think that that almost like there isn't any retribution for that. They're just, they become impoverished by the end of it because the, like when, when Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy figure out what's been going on, Mm -hmm. they're like, what's the best way to hurt rich people, make them poor. Yes. But there's no actual punishment for them committing a felony. Yes. And it's hard to know whether or not that was a a conscious choice because it's like, oh, this is the eighties and this is actually what we believe in. And we should be, you know, hitting them where the, the money is or whether or not that was a commentary on, you know, on how it works in America or whether or not that that was just how they like the easiest way they saw to tie up the film. Um, So there could be just be an element of like, well, the other option is we go to the police and it's a less funny story, you know, kind of thing. Um, I suppose there could have been an element of uh, at the end when they go poor, they also like, it's also, you know, the police turn up outside the door kind of thing, but you are right. There's no, after they go poor, here's some handcuffs. It's like your punishment is, we've taken your money away from you and you've, you've lost your seat on the exchange, which was like the most important thing to them in the world. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, that's even more kind of emphasized because of the beginning where when Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy meet, Dan Aykroyd thinks that Eddie Murphy's trying to steal his briefcase and has police come and everything. And six guns are drawn on Eddie Murphy and held to his head. And they say they're going to charge him with assault, robbery and resisting arrest. mm Mm-hmm. And then there's absolutely nothing for the rich white guys who ruined both of their lives and like also committed a felony. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. No, I I think it's uh, as a time capsule of like, you know, that kind of 80s money period, but also just as a kind of larger social take on sort of the rules of engagement with police for poor black people compared to rich white people i think it's still really interesting uh interesting movie to watch in that respect and if you take out the sort of some some sort of really troublesome parts uh really funny still um right shall we move on to our next film which is philadelphia which came out in 1993 and was a legal drama starring tom hanks and denzel washington uh, tells the story of a, a lawyer taking his former employers to court for firing him for having HIV AIDS. Um, the film was a, a landmark for mainstream Hollywood cinema, acknowledging HIV, HIV AIDS, homose- homosexuality and homophobia. And it's kind of the first time that was kind of really brought to, to mainstream filmmaking in America. Uh, Tom Hanks won Academy Award for Best Actor for his portrayal of the main character, Andrew Beckett. And Bruce Springsteen also won Academy Award for Best Song, uh, best original song for Streets of Philadelphia, which is used at the start of the film. Um, so I had not actually seen this prior to watching it in advance of this uh, episode. So I watched it a few weeks ago and I, th- I thought it w- worked well as a, as a film, as a, as a drama. Um, I did actually find, I, I can understand why Tom Hanks won, but he wasn't in as much of the film as I thought he would be considering. Uh, like there's like, large parts where Denzel Washington is kind of carrying the story for, the, for lots of it, mm-hmm. which I, I found interesting in itself um 
I don't know who wants to pick this up. I don't know if either of you guys have got particularly strong feelings, but I, what, one question I did have was how successful do you think the film was in, in showing the different sides of Philadelphia? So you've got kind of the poorer parts where a lot of those people with HIV lived and then the more upmarket side where you've got the, the big law firms and the high-priced lawyers. And then kind of what, what did you think of the, the film's sort of depiction of this poorer um, side of Philadelphia and the, the, the AIDS crisis and the, that, that kind of stuff? Um, well, I, I, I would say that just from a sociological standpoint, I think it, it did really well, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think just actually like the movie we, we were just talking about, there, there does seem to be this thing about rich white guys in this movie, um, upper sort of upper middle class elites who have uh, held the seats of power in banking and law and their prejudices being opened up in both of these movies, which I don't like normally see a lot. Um, in, in in movies today, maybe, maybe I'm not watching them them as as as, diff- as hard as I used to used to. But yeah, it is quite like for the the sort of silent generation, upper middle class white elite is being critiqued quite heavily in in a couple of these movies, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And and it's a very specific because I I don't I don't really believe that corporate elites in 2020 are in saunas you know, disparaging homosexuals in this way. They have other problems, but they don't have, I don't think they have those problems as explicitly. You know, it's, 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 it's quite, it's like a, yeah, it's like a, a, for me, it's almost like a piece of demographic history that's in this movie. Because when I watched this movie, I did not expect to, to see or feel the, the the level of homophobia that there's in this movie, even the homophobia displayed by mm-hmm. Den, the Denzel's character, which is mm-hmm. like the, he goes um, after he finds out Tom Hanks's character has his uh, AIDS, he goes home and has this discussion with his wife, and and he's like a a fourteen year old boy in like two thousand. It's it's he's a lawyer. It's amazing. I've never I I. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 very close to the time that we live in today. But yeah, these were just widely held views about people. It's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I am certainly no expert on on this kind of era and you know the AIDS epidemic and everything like that. But the film does at least touch upon this idea of like genuine fear, um, by certainly you know these white upper class people towards people with HIV and this idea that like they did genuinely they wanted to mock them but they also genuinely feared them as well and um I it's I'd be interested you know I'd be interested to hear from people who actually genuinely know much more about this than I do about how maybe depictions of HIV AIDS has moved on like in mainstream media since this film and what you know what we're still seeing today in some respects either towards homophobia or looking back in this time where the AIDS crisis was uh was much more um impactful on day-to-day sort of American news cycles and that kind of stuff um Vaughn your your thoughts on the film as far as the showcasing of Philadelphia and then anything else you'd like to touch upon um yeah so 
starting with um, the portrayal of AIDS and the homophobia in it, just to say a bit more, I think it did a brilliant job with portraying the AIDS epidemic as it was in the US. Um, there's a scene in the courtroom during the hearing when one of the lawyers asks Tom Hanks if he knew that he was at risk of contracting HIV in 1984 and he says like no nobody knew how you could get it but we knew there was this thing called the gay cancer and we didn't know that it could kill you because as we've covered before in um, our Reagan series the government did nothing by way of public education and watching this film during COVID was interesting um, to say the least but I think it did a really great job of portraying what the 80s were like for the AIDS epidemic and also like the, the homophobia. Um, in terms of how it's been since then, there's definitely still a lot of stigma. It's lessened for sure. And I think more media is less homophobic as this film, because as Toby said, Denzel's homophobia is just intense um and aggressive and he gets angry about it he yeah. like the scene in the grocery someone. store yeah 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 he he assaults someone who hits on him and as he's representing tom hanks's character um in in the trial so yeah i think media is definitely more compassionate towards um, the LGBT community, but I I do think there there's definitely some media that tackles this. Um, I can't directly think of any examples at the moment, but but it does exist. I think some some of these scenes in this movie, especially with the lawyer for the the defense, when she's drilling into his lifestyle, into mm -hmm. where he went. Um, into particular clubs he went to where he met other men and, um, you know, and perform the acts with them and drilling into a dying man. Yeah. Saying that because he chose this lifestyle, he, he's at, he made himself at risk and also saying that they didn't know. Like, the level of scrutiny she's putting on on this person is amazing. Yeah, it just it 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 couldn't be repeated on television today, um, or in a film without people just being awed by it. It just they would they would write letters. They'd be like, how how is this even possible? And it's yeah. and it's not that far away. In fact, you know, I, I was probably I was born when this when this movie came out. So yeah, I, I, I think it's it's I think in that in the, it's depiction of, of of that and in the the foreignness of the the, the you know the, the experience at the time of the the AIDS crisis. It's it's a, it's very good at showing you how I normal everyday people feel because. Even Tom Hanks's character rhapsodizes about his former boss. 
He says, mm-hmm. this is a great lawyer, uh, the pillar of the community, someone who's a thinker. Yeah, it's who I wanted to be. Who I wanted to be, you know? And I was, I was actually going to tell him because I was, I was, I was developing some level of co- comfort mm-hmm. around these people. But, you know, I, I got further into the circle. I was invited to the sort of meetings and I found out it wasn't yeah. going to be possible. Absolutely. Incredible. Um, Vaughn, I was just wondering your, your thoughts on the depiction of Philadelphia and if it was one you, yes. you recognized. Um, definitely, for sure. I think it was a really good representation of Philadelphia, um, especially the the... I've said it a million times and I'm sorry to repeat myself, but the dualism of Philadelphia and having these kind of established elites against people who actually live in the city, live and work and and play and whatever. Um, that at one point in the film, one of them asks him about the, hold on. Um, one of them says, does he frequent those pathetic bars on Chestnut Street? And that is very specifically Philadelphia because there's an area of Philadelphia named the Gayborhood and it's the, the pride district of Philadelphia. Um, I don't know when that was established and kind of taken on as a pride district and dubbed the, the Gayborhood, but it was probably just after this film um, and I immediately recognized that as this is a place in Philadelphia that has been degraded and uh, prejudiced and made fun of constantly, but the people of Philadelphia reclaimed it and said, yeah, we are gay and we love that for us. And we have a whole community of people willing to support us. So like that being portrayed in this film with all of um, Tom Hanks's friends and Antonio Banderas being perfect, absolutely perfect in this film. Um, you get that sense of the community of Philadelphia and specifically the gay community in Philadelphia. So I really appreciated that for, for how it portrayed the city. They also comment on uh, Denzel Washington at the very beginning of the film. He's arguing with Tom Hanks's character in a uh, judge's office, I guess. And he says that there's construction work constantly and these skyscrapers are going up daily. And there's this ominous shadow over the children's lives uh, from the dust from these construction sites. And that is such a specific nod to all of the development from the 70s and 80s as the city was going into bankruptcy, that they just kept building things without thinking about how it was affecting the children or how it was affecting the financial budget to help children in the future. So I think it, it really hit a lot of points for Philadelphia for me. Interesting. Um, we probably should move on. There was only one other thing I was just going to, well, I'll just very quickly bring up with regards to um, sort of the, the portrayal of gay characters in this. And it's, I suppose only relevant in the sense that we are, you know, this podcast is so much about media and, you know, media depictions of, of various events. 
I, I, it's not so much a statement because I'm just wondering it myself, but I do wonder if in the future, and maybe we won't, maybe we will, I'm not, I, I don't have the answer. We'll look back on, you know, Tom Hanks and Antonio Banderas, these straight male actors playing gay characters, and we'll, this will be kind of called out a lot more and say it was just a different time that, you know, we had these, you know, the people who were going to play gay in a film were these straight actors. And we hear a lot more about um, these days about giving opportunity to uh, gay actors to, to play gay roles. And, you know, you get pushed back from, from other actors who say, actually, no, you know, you should be able to, that's the point of acting is to be able to uh, bring in, you know, different people to, to bring in different things. But uh, watching the film, I did, it, it did make me wonder how the conversation around that side of things will kind of change in the decades to come. Cause I, I whenever I, I watch a film that has any kind of like social topic to it, I, I try and think the kind of questions that we're now asking ourselves, you know, 20 or 30 years after a film came out, I wonder what other questions or different questions they'll be asking in 20 or 30 years time that we're not asking now. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can imagine they probably would be asking that exact question I mean, I, I don't. I don't really know too much about this. I think um, with the new uh, House of Gucci movie, people are talking about how why are they having Jared Leto like wear a suit, yes. you know, instead of having a bigger actor play. Yeah. But I don't know. I think, I think you 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 demo you deal with the limits of the craft, don't you? You, you like wanting to go as far as you can to 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 inhabit someone else is is part of the craft doesn't surely it must be and mm. uh, tom hanks is at, at more tom hanks than, um but tom hanks's character is he's good because he's just a normal guy as he kind of always is obviously he's you know he, he's from a sort of wealthier backgrounds than than average but he has this he has this quality about him that he's just a a guy but he's gay yeah. You know, and I think for the movie's purposes, probably also in that time, mm-hmm. it it's it's yeah. the best way they could have done it. I think. I don't think they yeah. could have done it. With yeah, the I, I was gonna say that identitarian that... depiction of the you know. Yeah, you're not not gonna get a mainstream Hollywood film kind of with you know in this at that time. I suppose telling this story without having a more famous person or more famous people in, in the lead roles. Sorry, Bon, you were saying. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that I, I don't know if people in this period would have watched a film with openly gay actors Mm -hmm. about AIDS at the time. I think you needed a Tom Hanks and you needed Antonio Banderas and you needed Denzel Washington Mm -hmm. to make people watch this film. And I I think it's a a bit forgivable because of the time that it was. Mm -hmm. And And how important it was for AIDS to be covered. For people to talk about AIDS because this film did spark a lot of conversation about AIDS and what it means for people and how it it confronted how people react when you shake someone's hand and then they tell you they have AIDS it it broke so much down in a short amount of time and also showed how beautiful and loving the LGBTQ community can be Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was it, it hit so many important things for gay rights at the moment and just not even rights, but just seeing gay people as people yeah. that I, I think I think it's forgivable to not have openly gay actors in those roles 
1993. If it were made today, no, but it doesn't have the same stakes as it would have in 93. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, actors come with their own baggage as well to a movie. You know, obviously yeah. they're big stars, but Tom Hanks is, he's Tom Hanks. He's just, he's his brand. And if yeah. you have Tom Hanks in this, doing this, then it becomes more powerful in the context of 1992. Yeah. yeah. I, I, as I was watching that, it did make me think, Obviously, this was, as I said at the start, this was kind of a landmark film for Hollywood as far as, you know, the stories it was covering. And just as you said, Vaughn, the fact that it was the 90s and, you know, or the 90s, and you, you needed to have these bigger actors in order to get people to actually watch it. I, I, I do. It, it is a fascinating thing to th- think, isn't it? That like, if you just replace Tom Hanks with like a, you know, non-famous gay actor at the time, this potentially goes, you know, and change nothing else. You know, maybe yeah. this makes one quarter of the the box office, and you know, it it doesn't maybe have the same impact, even though, you know, it has more legitimacy from the kind of having a gay actor, you know, involved in the film kind of thing. It is, it, it's always fascinating to think about these things, and a bit depressing. <laughs> and a bit depressing. Anyway, right. speaking of depressing. Speaking of depression, yes. Um, so our next film is Silver Linings Playbook which was a 2012 romantic comedy drama written and directed by David Russell and starring Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro, amongst others. Uh, The film tells the story of Max, a man with bipolar disorder who is trying to sort out his life after being released from a psychiatric hospital. And uh, he ends up moving back with his parents, um, father played by Robert De Niro there. Um, Jennifer Lawrence won the Academy Award for Best Actress in the uh, leading role for her performance as Tiffany Maxwell, uh, who is a young widow who is recovering from her own trauma and is the the love interest of this story. Uh, Vaughn, this was a film you hadn't seen before until a couple of nights ago, I think, and you were texting me during it. I'd seen it a few times before, and although it's got some troublish things, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> were you surprised just how sort of how strong the iconography of Philadelphia was in this film because they do kind of hit home a lot of stuff with eagles and you know maybe Mm. some references to other things throughout the film and um, I'm interested to get your take as someone from Philadelphia and being a more modern set film kind of what your thoughts are on the representation of Philadelphia and the sort of Philadelphia brand in this film right Um, I think it was on point for eagles fans Especially that, like, the first conversation you have about the Eagles is between Robert De Niro and his friend Randy. And Randy's a Cowboys fan, and they immediately get in a fight about the Eagles and the Cowboys because they're the prime rivalry. Um, I also love that conversation because Randy's like, what's more American than a Cowboy? And Robert De Niro's like, Ben Franklin. It's great. It, that is a great scene. Um I love that they portray a tailgate, like a proper tailgate at the Eagles stadium. Um, that's spot on. With added I've been... I was going to say with added racism as well. Well, I don't know if it's added. Oh, <laughs> like, sorry, sorry. Okay. Well, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe you can tell me, but it certainly seemed like that was a, I, you can tell me whether or not that's a standard part of tailgate. I, but, uh... I mean, I love, I love that a fight breaks out at a tailgate in the Eagles stadium parking lot because i've been to tailgates at in in the stadium parking lots and i've seen fights break out there and i'm like yeah check like that looks right to me 
Um, I love that he wore a Deshaun Jackson jersey to a dinner party. Yes. Hilarious. I know people who've done that. Um, I know people who've worn them to their weddings. I, it, I like like when he's like, is it too much? And he's like, no, no, I wish I was wearing that right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a very kind of Philly thing, I think. And it I know so many people who have their like football superstitions and things and it, mm-hmm. things have to be in the perfect spot when you're watching an Eagles game. Yeah, holding the remote control a certain way and all that. Yeah, kind of yeah like wearing particular sweaters or Eagles memorabilia yeah. or something. Something has to be right for for the game because it is this all-consuming being a sports fan in Philadelphia is an all-consuming kind of thing, which is why I tend to stay out of it because it's a lifestyle. And um, yeah, I thought that was portrayed really well in this film. Yeah, Simon knows about it. He, he, he just explained my routine in 2008 <laughs> with Arsenal, you know, putting the remote in the right place, I, putting your, your right foot in the right place when they're playing yep. in a particular you know part of the country with your left yep. foot. I- absolutely yeah um, but like we, we've gone through this toby with arsenal I, these days we are less involved because i'm very i'm very jaded and yeah nerves are, are too short. i i distinctly remember as a, as a teenager uh arsenal played away to my united and me not getting out of bed because i was like because i kind of slept in and there it was an early kickoff against my united and i purposely didn't get a bed until the full-time whistle went because i didn't want to jinx them because they're already winning and i thought if i left the bed maybe my united will score and it worked out because we won two 0 So good, good job, me. But oh, yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. I was exactly like that as well. Absolutely. So, so well, I think Toby and I take a lot of credit for that victory. Uh, but yes, I'm completely with you, Vaughn, on the the craziness of sports fans there. Um, it's sorry. Was there anything else you wanted to add on the sort of Philadelphia side of things? Because we did kind of jokingly text that um, the Tiffany Maxwell character played by Jennifer Lawrence mm-hmm. might actually be the, the what if version of Vaughn if she had stayed in America and not become an <laughs> academic in the UK, which I think actually put, put you through some like truly kind of like personal questions for yourself. Um, yeah, it, 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 it seemed did, to... Simon. Thanks for that. Yeah, and thanks for bringing it up here. Yeah, I had a personal crisis watching this film and i didn't enjoy it very much because you, you get to say like, this, this film's lasting forever and ever and that's because you said you kept pausing it every time you hit like something that hit home i was like i'm not surprised it's taking <laughs> it's like every 10 minutes there's something that comes up yeah like i think you said it's like looking in a reverse mirror yes of, of what my life could have been and i was like oh my god because it's so right that's very true i think yeah, it was a personal <laughs> crisis for me. I wasn't I wasn't a super big fan of this film. Um, I think they portrayed Philly very well, but almost too well to the point that I was scared for my other self in a <laughs> parallel universe. <laughs> I do like this idea of sort of alternate Vaughn who is married <laughs> to someone who hates, who loves oh, football God. and she's just having to, was it make the snacks on a Sunday or whatever it is they say in the film? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Toby, you got any thoughts on the film? No, I, I, I like the film a lot. Actually, I remember it distinctly because, you know, I was really into Hemingway um, back then. And um, when he came in and, and talked about a farewell to arms, at the end of the farewell to arms, I was like, I can't read the book now. I'm reading all of the Hemingway books 
and he just fucking spoiled the ending of a fail of the arms. So I can't, I can't read that. <laughs> Sorry, I never, I, I, I never watched the farewell, uh, read the farewell of the arms because of because uh, of this film. Movie. But I, I'm glad at least that it was a really, really good movie. You know, a great, de- de- I thought it was a great depiction of a particular kind of of person with a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I like the the fact that you know, I always, I, this movie really made me nervous for for these two people because I, I thought they were sort of really authentic. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, obviously Jen Jennifer Lawrence's performance in this movie, her her dancing, mm-hmm. um, in this movie. I, I, I liked um. Robert De Niro's performance because this was the first. I think he was he nominated for. Yeah, he got got an Oscar on for best supporting. Best supporting. Yeah, this was the first since uh, Awakenings, wasn't it? You know, oh, like, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, he, know, he, years. Had, he had such a famous run, and then he, kind of things dried up after he. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was, he, was really, he was really good in this movie, and um, yeah, I think both of these two actors, um, Jennifer Lawrence. And Bradley Cooper at this time, at this particular time, were, were doing great things in a, in a lot of different movies. And they were very, and it's very easy to, to em- they had characters who were very easy to empathize with, you know, despite, you know, you know, being traditionally, you know, Hollywood looking characters. Mm-hmm. They, they, I thought that they, they, they sort of played salt of the earth. But they weren't just just that as well. Like, I, you know, I think it's apt to Vaughn kind of said, you know, this might have been me. She's like, she, these, these people are both quite high functioning. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they haven't been able to fulfill themselves in, in particular ways, as some people, you know, obviously ne- never do. But there's, there's clearly a lot going on with these people, quite complex people, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed the sport aspect of this movie because I, I, I identified it with it quite uh, deeply. Um, yeah, as well. Yeah, so I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was a, a really good depiction of Philadelphia, a kind of depiction of what I'm saying earlier, of this kind of sort of um, Northeastern sports-loving community that it's also like has this sort of hyper-masculinity to it, mm-hmm. which I don't necessarily think is as bad and... and, and, and it might not be bad in certain contexts, but yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. And Von, you did enjoy him throwing um, the Brad the Cooper character throwing the book out the window, didn't you? You enjoyed him getting rid of him, away. Yeah, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. Right, uh, we've got two films left, and then a little recap at the end. So we should probably move on to the uh, penultimate film, uh, which is. Let the Fire Burn, which was a 2013 documentary about the events leading up to and surrounding a 1985 standoff between the Black Liberation Group MOVE and the Philadelphia Police Department. Um, I first learned about this story um, back when we did our Black Lives Matter episode, and that wasn't wasn't a story that sort of come across my way in the Scottish Highlands growing up, shockingly enough. Um, and um, I would just I couldn't believe when. I heard the story about the police dropping a bomb from a helicopter on a residential area. It just sounds absolutely crazy. And then you watch this film and it is indeed crazy. It's uh, unbelievable. Um, I won't talk too much about it. Um, probably worth getting some f- thoughts from Vaughn because um, you know more about it than I do. But I thought it was really interesting because A, the, 
let the fire burn um tells the story well um you know it's it's an interesting historical document of what happens and you know mayor rizzo and the, the relationship between um the, the black community who are being persecuted uh, by the police and the kind of the events surrounding that but also just as a, like a work of media like as a document of media i thought it was really interesting because the film is just using archive clips and then the occasional title card to kind of um, set something up. So there's no additional interviews. There's no voiceover. It is, you know, 98% archive clips. And I think it's just fascinating that by kind of the late 70s, early 80s, we'd reached a point where with media saturation where we, I mean, they were literally filming the events as it happened. I mean, it was like a, an actual war was going on in the streets of Philadelphia and the camera crews were there. I mean, there's one scene where they're, they see a car or they're behind a car that's just a, come in, a police car, and they're actually sort of live reporting at the time. And like the boot, the trunk of the car pops up and like they could actually sort of filming, oh, what's in there? Oh, it's cartridges for a shotgun kind of thing. And it's just like, it, it was it was quite surreal actually just to think that it, you know if this story was came out 20 or 30 years earlier you just wouldn't have the same level of like on the ground reporting um for a lot of the stuff and then you you have a, a subsequent hearing later on um where they're kind of reviewing this and it's uh, they also have a, a conversation with i think the son of one of the move members and that's also recorded so because of the various things that get recorded you have this amazing set of archive clips that they put together for the film. And so, yeah, as a piece of history in its own right, but also as a, a document of, of media and media history, I thought it was a, at times, terrible watch because of, of the content, mm-hmm. but I thought it was a fascinating watch. Um, Vaughn, your, your, your thoughts on the film? Um, yeah, I agree with, with everything you said there. I think it's masterfully edited um there there are many scenes in which there's testimony from police officers who were there during the raid on may 13th 1985 when the move house was bombed and they're giving their side of the story and the the film let it burn or let the fire burn um is looking at the the actual footage from the day, the live footage that was that was being broadcast on the news, and it's not matching what the police officers are testifying, and they don't. the The creators of this this documentary don't overtly comment on that with a title card or saying anything. They just allow it to play out, and you you watch this happening of the. The establishment and the police and the the fire commissioner and all of these people just passing the buck for what happened on the day and saying that the the goal of of the siege on their house was to evict them and to get them out of the house and then you have two other officers saying that they were blocking the back entrance when the house was on fire to prevent anyone from escaping and it, as you say, it's an intense emotional watch. It is painful to see, but very frequently throughout it, the, um, 
there are two MOVE members who were not in the House, who are now former MOVE members. And they're testifying to, to the commission investigation and saying, we are humans. Like we are human people who were being persecuted for our ideas because the, the MOVE organization, their ideology, as I mentioned earlier, was just an alternative lifestyle. They regarded themselves as practicing a religion uh, as founded by John Africa. And it was one of life and putting human life in relation to other natural life on earth. It, it was just humanist and for it to escalate as far as it did with the police department and with Frank fucking Frank Rizzo, Frank Rizzo is just, it's, it's barbaric that the police did this. Um, in 1978, Frank Rizzo and his police department, they had a clash with the MOVE organization in which a police officer died and they sentenced nine people to prison for murdering this one cop whom the MOVE group say was killed in friendly fire and the police never investigated that. Repeatedly, the police said that the MOVE organization fired first and they fired assault uh, or atomic weapons and whatever, but the weapons recovered from the house and repeatedly throughout the years confiscated from the MOVE members were found to either not be automatic weapons or be completely inoperable as weapons. They were only there for a show of force but their goal was not to murder people. And I'm not, I, I'm not the person to, to tell the story of the MOVE organization, but it is one that we need to know, especially Philadelphians, because it is something that we are still being confronted with today 35 years on, um, 36 years on even, that just last year, or maybe possibly even earlier this year, a University of Penn professor was using bones of a child who was murdered in the MOVE bombing for her archaeology class without any permission from the family or from even like the... Uh, the police department to be using these bones in an archaeological class. So there's just absolutely zero respect for these people as people. And that comes out so much through the testimony that's used in, in the film. Um, it's an extremely powerful piece. And I think if you don't know what the move bombing is, you should definitely look into it. And if you have the time, watch Let the Fire Burn which the title is taken from Mayor Good, mm -hmm. who said there was a decision that was made to let the fire burn on that day. And I stand by the decisions that were made. And it, yeah. how, how can you do that? It's just yeah. a painful watch, but extremely important in knowing the, the history of Philadelphia. 
yeah, it is. Um, it is almost. It's almost impossible to comprehend one human making a kind of decision that's like, yeah, let's drop a bomb on a residential neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then the, this idea of this decision to <laughs> let the fire burn. And this, you you get the impression throughout that they did not see the move, like those in move as people. They saw them as almost some sort of invading alien race that they need to take care of. And there's lots of stuff throughout the film where there's um, people in power, such as the police, talking about uh, needing to basically have more force than is required in order to deal with it and you don't underestimate your enemy and all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, it, it's clear that, you know, what might have happened on the day was, you know, specific choices that were made. But th- this wasn't s- some aberration of of behaviour from the policing and the decisions that came before this was this was institutional and had been around for years and decades and was fundamental to how they they thought about um the the move organization and perhaps um certain types of black people in general to be honest so yeah i just absolutely absolutely um it's a great watch but it is very tough um i think it's it's also important to remind people or tell people that dropping this bomb on the house in the neighborhood that sounds bad enough but if you know the the neighborhoods in philadelphia especially in west philadelphia where this happened their townhouse rose so the entire city block is just essentially one building all the way down that is partitioned into houses so bombing the middle one and trying to contain a fire to just one is impossible and it yep. spread across the street on both sides of the street, um, both both sides of the, the building. And about 65 homes were, were burned to the ground because of this decision by the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. That's that's just unfathomable that, that they would let that happen. And then say, as they're watching the fire burn, let the fire burn. And in the testimony, Mayor Good says that after about 40 minutes of the fire burning, he said, put it out. And then the police commissioner says, oh, I passed on that order. And the fire commissioner says, I didn't, I never got that order. And it's just this passing the buck of nobody's going to take responsibility for killing the 11 people they killed, including children in this bombing. Yeah. Or... Um, causing mass homelessness on mm. just three city blocks yeah ultimately the com- the commission investigation found the city and the police and the fire department um negligent but there were no criminal charges ever filed for any of it there was there was no real retribution and then the city paid to rebuild the homes that were burned but they were all condemned by 2000 for being poorly made yeah it's just such contempt for on the part of the city of philadelphia for the inhabitants of philadelphia and um one of the the final kind of striking images you get at the end of the film is that one of the police officers who was giving testimony um in the the later hearings um he 
I think he's basically the only one from that side of things that actually kind of came away with any sort of credit at all. And uh, I think one of the um, one of the people there was kind of speaking, saying he'd, <laughs> to paraphrase, he was kind of saying he'd kind of lost faith in humanity. But there was this one police officer who was appeared to be there to try and help, you know, get people out and maybe help children get out and um, get out from the fire in the, the, the house that was burning. And it was he's kind of thanked for that. And then. Uh, I think it was revealed that kind of after after this all happened he got some terrible kind of slurs written on his locker room in the police station i think it was uh, mm-hmm. i won't repeat the words but um, yeah they're pretty terrible and then i think a couple of years later or a year or so later he um he resigned i think from uh, from post-traumatic stress disorder or, or something like that um which again is just a, a terrible reflection um, on the uh, police department at that time that's um that's what you get yeah um there's a lot i mean we could do whole a whole episode um just on on the on move and, and the bombing there but uh, we should probably move on um if that's okay to our last film which is um a bit different in in tone um so our our last film for today is Shazam, which is a 2019 DC superhero film, which um, tells the story of 14-year-old Billy Badson, a foster child who is chosen by an ancient wizard to be his champion and gains his powers through a strike of lightning whenever he uh, says the wizard's name, which is Shazam. Um, The film centers around uh, Billy's foster family and his fight against uh, the bad guy, uh, Thaddeus Silvana, I think his name is, and the seven deadly sins who um, sort of give him powers and also come out as creatures in their own right. And although the film was primarily filmed in Canada, the film is set in Philadelphia and shots of Philadelphia are used throughout the film. And I think there's quite a lot of, sort of uh, second unit work involved in um, sort of adding those additional uh, bits of filming. And the working title of the film during production was actually Franklin in relation to your boy Franklin um, and reference to uh, the, the electricity which uh, Benjamin Franklin brought upon the world all by himself. Good job, Benjamin Franklin. Um, Vaughn, does this feel like a Philly film to you? And um, there's a, certainly the, the element of kind of the underdog story. And I, I, I liked the fact, I mean, it's not specific to Philly, but I like the fact that you've got like the foster family kind of being at the center of this, which I think works really well as this kind of story. And I think most importantly, it has a Gino's uh, food bag in the film, which I think is your favorite steak sandwich place in the yeah. world. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So your thoughts on on Shazam in general, and also the, the the iconography and identity of Shazam as a as a Philly film. Um. Yeah. I think I think it definitely is a Philly film, and I think it's really interesting to view in contrast to Let the Fire Burn because Let the Fire Burn is a documentary documentary about a real historical event that happened in Philadelphia. And it shows a real, very human experience in Philadelphia that we're still experiencing. Well, a lot of people in Philadelphia are still experiencing the police corruption and police brutality, especially as evidenced as late as 2020 with the Um, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd protests that happened last summer. And then Shazam 
in 2019 is this very different kind of view. And as we talked about with the New York episode, this this comic book view and idealized superhero world of Philadelphia, um, it really shows the contrast of the the different ways that that people experience Philadelphia, I think, and the ways in which Philadelphians might want to be portrayed on screen. Um, I think a lot of this film does really do well with Philly iconography. It's a very fun film. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I thought it was very funny also. Was this time, was this your first time watching the film in, in preparation for this podcast? This, yeah, it was. This was the first time I'd seen it. Um, and I liked it a lot. They, geographically, they were very accurate, which was cool because he gets on mm -hmm. the Market Frankfurt line um, eastbound at 40th Street Station and the, the overhead says 30th Street is next, which is really, I like when films do that when they do mm -hmm. get it very accurate. Um, there's a school, the, the school that the, the boy goes to, he's, uh, it has a metal detector. Mm -hmm. And one of the little, little kids says it's security, like at the airport. Um, that's an interesting thing to include. Mm -hmm. And an accurate thing to include. Um, there's a woman who's getting mugged and she maces the guy who's trying to mug her as Shazam is trying to help. And he's like, oh, I thought you needed a hero. And she's like, um, no, I took care of it. And he's like, can I at least get your purse back? And she's like, uh, no, because I still have it. And I was like, what an iconic Philly woman to just take on someone trying to mug her like that. Um, so yeah, I think it it's a very fun view. It's the, oh, the most Philly thing that happened was at the end, um, there's a guy dressed as Santa Claus and he grabs the mic and body checks the reporter who's trying to report on like the final <laughs> yeah. blowout scene with all of the superheroes and the villain. And he like body checks her, grabs the mic and says, it was fucking crazy, man. Creatures yeah. from fucking hell, lightning coming out of everyone's fucking everywhere. And that is not fucking cool. I'm sorry, but, and then it fades out. Yeah. And that for me, <laughs> I laughed out loud and watched it several times. That was a, such a Philly thing. Um, <laughs> So yeah, the, and they explode the Billy Penn statue, which is like absolute sacrilege. And then the head of Billy Penn lands on the Love Park statue. And that's that's in my notes in caps lock. And I'm like, <laughs> how, how dare they? Like, But yeah, it's it's a very Philly movie in my opinion. And I enjoyed it very well. I think they, I think they use Philly very well in the film. And I guess it kind of comes back to this underdog story as well, which we, we, we talked exactly. about before, especially with uh, with Rocky and um, I think you could I think you can appreciate it from the, the kind of Philly level as you, you you have an additional level of sort of Philliness which you can mm -hmm. you can identify but even if you know nothing about it um, on that level I think it's just as an underdog story I think it works really well and in contrast to a lot of the more recent or some of the more recent DC films which have struggled mm. to actually be a film rather than just a bunch of scenes put together I think this was a much more classical and of like an actual film where they had a story. And I think, you know, we complain a lot about, or people often complain a lot about kind of the Marvel universe and how we, we've basically gone from making, you know, Taxi Driver to, you know, Captain Marvel or whatever the, the argument is. But 
the MCU has been successful because they've actually been able to make films with stories and characters that have actually worked for people. And so when you do then have, you know, these big gigantic moments where, you know, Captain America's holding, you know, Mjolnir and that kind of stuff, it's worked because you've actually got, you've actually got, you've spent time with the characters and you've kind of gone on this journey. Whereas I think at times the DC films have, I mean, the fact that the, they they had a Superman film to kind of Man of Steel to kick things off, and then they immediately sort of went into a, a Justice League film because they kind of just wanted to jumpstart into their shared universe. Mm. And I think that's kind of telling that that's kind of where they ended up with these these films that kind of felt disjointed because they were trying to do three or four things at once. Whereas Shazam actually felt like a well-made film that had a story and it yeah. had characters, and you actually got to spend time with them. And so at the end, when you have the characters... Uh, kind of uh, drawn out um, the other foster children essentially sort of gain the powers of sort of Shazam-like powers as well. And so you are actually able to identify that, um, you know, because you've spent time with them, these, you know, often shy kids or these kids with certain personality traits, when they're transformed into these adult superheroes, you're actually able to identify them and pay attention to them. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is actually an example of, of a film that has actually worked well for for DC, so I know they they're doing a, a sequel, um, which coming in a couple of years, and they're also doing a Black Adam film as well, which is um, related to this as well. So fingers crossed that actually that works out as well. And I wonder how much Philly they'll include in in any sequel they do. So I have I have two questions. Yeah, go for it, Toby. Uh, Shazam, is it in the comic books are they set in Philly? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't know I I don't never read a Shazam comic so I could, couldn't tell you. Um, and this, and the second, do you think that this movie works because the hero isn't like sort of an all powerful godlike character, and then you can sort of follow him around a little yeah, bit better. That's a good question. So I think I mean I, I'm not a comic comic book expert, but one of the things I think is a contrast between Marvel and DC superheroes, and I don't you know Bond knows more about this stuff than I do is that often Marvel characters are like the everyday hero. So you have like mm-hmm. Spider-Man who has to deal with the fact that he's a student and he's running late for the bus kind of thing while also being a superhero. Whereas Superman is literally like a god mm-hmm. and Batman is wealthier than God and these kind of things. And so with Shazam, you kind of get kind of both, to be honest, because you get Billy Badson who has to deal with the fact he's a 14-year-old foster kid who is looking for his mum and is kind of going through almost more of a sort of classic Marvel kind of trope of, of like a teenager dealing with his very everyday environment. But then on the other hand, he's got godlike superpowers. And one of the fun things about the film is actually they actually spend time with him trying to explore and figure out what powers he does have and whether or not, you know, he's invulnerable to bullets or to fire or whether or not he can fly and whether or not he can turn himself invisible and all this kind of stuff. So he, I would say it's kind of kind of both. I would say he he is relatable because he is genuinely a fourteen year old kid who is, you know, going through troubles and getting bullied and this kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, he does have these godlike powers which he can transform into, which allows for these fantastical adventures. Vaughn, I don't know if you got an answer to either of those two questions that uh, Toby posed. Um. So in twenty twelve, there was a new, the the new fifty two universe mm-hmm. for DC. Um, and that introduced the new origin story of Billy Batson, a, a 15 year old foster mm-hmm. child living in Philadelphia. So the oh, issues of Shazam that are 
that were the source material for this film were set in Philadelphia. There you go. Um, I don't remember the second question. Uh, so I think the second question, Toby, was it around the the kind of the type of hero he was? Was that I can't remember exactly how you phrased it. Yeah, exactly. Was the, the was it the type of hero that he that he is allows it to be a more sort of authentic Philly mm. story? I think that's I think it's probably yeah. part of the reason why uh, Spider Man is so New York mm-hmm. because he sort of functions as a New Yorker on a number mm. of different levels. While you know Superman just sort of sits above the city, you know what he, everything a Superman does can destroy, you know, like twenty thousand people immediately. Yeah. So it's it's very different. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I want so Vaughn, do, just building on what Toby said, do, do you think the Shazam hero and the Sh- and the Billy Batson character, do you think that reflects well against the backdrop of Philadelphia? Yeah, I think it does because. Um... I mean, he is like a, like, he's troubled and he's moody and he's a 15 year old child in and out of foster homes. So he has a lot of very personal kind of, um, at like behaviors that, that are very individualistic and, and things. And then when he meets his foster family and starts becoming acquainted with his his new brothers and sisters then he starts to kind of open up to them so it's a very personal story mm-hmm. but i do think it's it's quite i think it fits in philly maybe this is just my own personal view but i buy it because they're in philly because yeah. as i've been saying like these this just the spirit of philadelphians is just to like love one another and you can be an asshole about it but you can still love people you know and I really get that out of the Billy Batson character in this film. So I, yeah. And I think it is very, um, it is a, a, a advantage for Shazam to only be Shazam when you turn into Shazam. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, like yeah. Billy Batson and then can be Shazam, but he's not Shazam first. And I think that really allows them to explore the character more and the decisions he makes as Shazam are directly related to his character development as Billy Batson. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that's a strength of the character for sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it also is nice as well that the the foster family around him, that the parents and the kids are actually really supportive characters, you know, and... Yeah, and that, very that, diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think that, that comes across well. Um, so yeah, uh, to answer your question, Toby, yeah, I think that it is helpful to have uh, a more kind of almost Spider-Man kind of on the ground kind of character who's dealing with everyday life, and I think that that reflects well in uh, in how it, it you know Philadelphia is brought out. So uh, if you've got the time, I, I would definitely uh, say Shazam is well worth watching. It's a it's a fun film and it's yeah well made. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Oh, sorry, only go on. Yeah, just one last thing. Um, so they reference Rocky in this film, and Shazam, like Zachary Levi, when he is Shazam, he says it's a totally sick view. I see why Rocky was training so hard to get up here <laughs> when they're sitting on the art museum steps, and because several of these films have the Rocky statue in them, and they they are aware of Rocky, mm-hmm. it made me think that could 
all Philadelphia films be within the Rocky franchise? Or like, is the Rocky statue the Easter egg that puts all of these films in the same universe? Mm. Yeah, the answer is maybe not one, but probably the rest, yeah. All these films have probably been the Rocky franchise. Yeah, right? I think think Rocky's a real person in these films. That's an interesting idea. Also makes you wonder who would win between Shazam and Rocky in a fight. Um, obviously Rocky obviously because he would train harder Rocky would win definitely um, the, they would have Sylvester Stallone have Rocky Rocky beat Suzanne <laughs> probably have Rocky beat Superman actually as well because because Billy Badson would would shout Shazam and uh, Rocky would shout Adrian and Rocky would win uh, <laughs> yes uh, the one question I had to end this was there is a reference in the film uh, to Geno's which I believe is a steak shop Vaughn will be able to tell um, uh, tell you more than I can um, you were a bit dismissive on Twitter about Gino's being like heralded as as the best when it comes uh-huh. to this kind of thing do you have a, a preference then if you're in Philadelphia where you should be getting your, your steak your steak from or your steak sandwiches from so yeah so Gino's and Pat's are like they're I think they're also in Rocky in a scene like in the background mm. but um, they're like heralded as like that's the cheesesteak for philly but no philadelphian actually eats genos or pats because they're like tourist traps and they're not good and they're also owned by the same family but they're directly across the street from each other so they're like oh we're competitors (laughs) no they're same family but anyway um i like delisandro's or tony luke's um there you go and i know that that's problematic for a lot of philadelphians but we're almost at the end. So if you made it this far, cheers on you. But I also I also like um, gyms. I go. like cheesesteaks and I haven't had them in years and I miss them. So, but I, I would, if somebody was like, do you want a Gino's cheesesteak right now? I'd be like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what Vaughn's commitment to all of this is really right now. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's definitely a Philadelphian thing. You have your cheesesteak and you stick to it. And then when any, whenever you're outside of Philadelphia and someone's like, do you want a Philly cheesesteak? And then they put fucking green peppers on it. Oh my God. I go insane <laughs> about that. Every Philadelphian who's ever traveled outside of the, out, mm, outside of the city has a story about whatever city trying to play off a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. Or, ugh, terrible. They put balsamic vinegar on it here. That's gross. You can only apologize on. What do they put on it in Philly? It's a cheese Uh, whiz. Fried onions and cheese whiz. A whiz wit. That's steak. It's chip steak, cheese whiz, and fried onions. You can get some other things on it, but that's like the standard. There you go. Or Um, provolone. Classically, it's provolone. Anyway, sorry. I could do this for hours. I miss cheese. Yeah, I was gonna say we could give you your own food corner if you wish. All okay, that's something to think about for the next episode. Um, yeah. Right, um, we should probably finish up. But is there any honorable mentions? We kind of already said the start. Um, always sunny in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia story are two mm-hmm. additional uh, kind of mainstream uh, Philadelphia representations. Um, is there anything? Anyone else would like to add either on those or on any other films before we finish up? I'd just second Always Sunny because it definitely is a great representation of modern Philly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
um <laughs> it it's definitely um a, a, it's very funny and then also quite disturbing so i don't know if that represents philly or not but um it's it's definitely worth watching right um if there's nothing else to add then we should probably finish up the show here um i've i've really enjoyed this episode i've got a lot out of it um toby and vaughn thank you for diving into these films with me i was i like I say, I really enjoyed talking these ones through. I thought these were some good picks. So um, well done, guys. Thanks for letting me do Philly. Anytime, Vaughn, anytime. <laughs> um, I think we, we're we still figuring out episodes, but we, we still have some more um, film uh, from more cities to do. I think Chicago might be next, although not 100% sure, sure on that one. So um Yes, we might be heading to the Windy City next for our um, next City on Film. So that'll be interesting. Um, we'll see if Yvonne has any food recommendations from there or not. Um, mm. Okay, uh, so uh, from, from Toby, from Vaughn and myself, Simon, thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll have another episode for you in the near future. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Go birds. Go birds. Go birds.